scaling mountain wisdom without suffocating under an avalanche of ego. Behind the podcast of episode EF6, I'm Scott Ely. Welcome to episode EF23. This is a quick spoiler notice that we are about to listen to a behind the podcast episode relating back to episode EFP6, which was season one, episode four of the Evolve Faster podcast titled Information Mainlining and the Folly of Modern Wisdom. The driving question of this episode and this behind the podcast for you to think through is what is wisdom? So just a brief flashback, I'll read the description of the storyline from this past episode so you can recall what it was about. Paul, a child prodigy who became a leading theoretical physicist in his early 30s, is facing a personal dilemma that's making him miserable. The realization that he might be woefully deficient in the one thing that he most reveres. Although filled with endless knowledge, he isn't wise. But how? Isn't harnessing more and more information the key to becoming wise? In his attempt to figure it out, Paul must realize the obstacle he's facing isn't even close to being the final one. And can he feel like a complete person without it? So in the last episode, we talked about knowledge. And although wisdom and knowledge might sound like two words being the same thing, the differences are crucial and critical in becoming more important to discern in our current age of distraction. So although they definitely go together, there are some specific differences, if invested in, might help you change the way you live in this era and perhaps even change the path you're on towards wisdom versus potentially information overload. So since this is a behind the podcast episode, uh, let me give you a little background on the creation of this episode and talk about why it was an important episode in the development of the whole show's concept. So when I was getting to the critical point of this episode being nearly complete, I remember driving at the time with my one-year-old daughter, Stella, who was sleeping in the back. And although a father driving with his lovable daughter sounds like a happy scenario, during that specific drive, I was, I was frustrated and just cleared up, not because of Stella, though she does make me frustrated sometimes. But we jokingly call her the 90% awesome kid uh, because she is awesome 90% of the time. Uh, a child's enthusiasm goes far beyond any what grown-up can handle. So anyway, she's sleeping and it was a silent ride with a, a storm in my own head. So I knew I had to call Antonio and have a good and hopefully productive conversation. When I initially started the podcast, I suspected it would take a long time and a couple of rewrites for each episode. But I'd never done anything like this before, especially not something that would be created and released on, released on a time schedule as it is now. But I wasn't ready for a rewrite number five, six, seven, and so on. And this made me worry because I had to postpone the release, realizing that what we had in front of us was a sort of Herculean task that I hadn't planned for. So it was originally supposed to launch quite a bit earlier than it did, but in taking the time it took to develop the style of the podcast, it just took a while. So naturally, when you get these thoughts, they're usually followed by moments of doubt. Um, okay, maybe there are just more than moments, days and weeks of it, but uh, sometimes you just can't escape what feels like the traps of your own making. So actually, you can never do that. But I did have my mind set on one thing, version three, which was kind of the official name for the final version that had to be, quote, final. There were certainly more versions than three, but V3 was kind of this idea of getting it to the point where it is not just a generic story with some philosophy in it. 
And so I called it that for two reasons in, in retrospect. First, I originally foolishly thought that the third rewrite would really be all we needed. <laughs> Amateur. And, you know, maybe by the time we get to season three, that will be the case because we know a lot more of what we're doing and how to do it and we're getting better and all that. But early on, that was, uh, that turned out to be absolutely ridiculous. And secondly, and this is one I still stand by, is that I have this theory that nothing really gets good into the third major version of anything, be it software or whatever. You, you have to get the bugs out. So we were aiming towards what we called version three. When I came to realize that version 3 was probably going to have at least 5 or 10 dot releases, 3.1, 3.2, 3.3, um, it really hit me like, could I really write, rewrite these things over and over? Like, how long will I be able to keep this podcast going if this is how difficult it's going to be to finish an episode? It was a fairly silent ride as I planned in my head the discussion I needed to have with Antonio to see if I could figure out a way to get this done quicker. Uh, I was just thankful that Stella was in the back seat sleeping with zero problems on her little developing brain. You're probably guessing there's sun after the storm, but before I explain how I managed to live to see yet another sunny day, I'd like to answer a bunch of questions um, about this episode and give some, hopefully some detailed insight into episode four, information mainlining and the folly of modern wisdom. Here's a couple of the questions that I hope to get to. Um, why the question, what is wisdom? Is Paul modeled after anyone? Do you find yourself in Paul? What happened to Paul as he lay on the floor? Why did you decide for Paul to become so eccentric and rude? Can that type of person be wise? What does the ending mean? It feels as if Sid replaces Paul. Let's get into those questions. So why the question, what is wisdom and how did the episode come to be? Season one is about mind and wisdom is likely the most evolved state of mind. Besides maybe some sort of meta-wisdom or enlightenment that maybe we'll only achieve someday with AI brain implants or something. There's an arc to the concept and episode big questions that are in this order for a reason. We start with knowledge acquisition in episode EF4. And then what is the truth in episode EF5? And the final step is wisdom, the topic of this EF6. My TEDx talk that I did in 2015 was about how to reduce distraction purge the chaos, as, as I called it. The theme of that TED conference was chaos. So I called it purge the chaos because it was relating to the dangers of your ever-shortening life plans if you don't get under control, especially in light of the marketing and artificial intelligence wizards that are behind the curtains of the likes of Facebook and Google who are pulling your strings big time. So I've always been a huge reader, but I even struggle to get myself to invest in cover to cover book reading these days. And, you know, I used to read a book a week, like I was a big reader, but now there's so much good content to consume, not to mention all the content junk food that goes down way too easy, like binging a Netflix series. And today it's hard for most people to read a full article, let alone a novel, for example. There, I, I read something about, it was a blogger, it might've been brain pickings, and she was asked the question, like, what disappoints you the most about, you know, the work that you do? And she said, it disappoints me when I'll spend, this may not have been her, I, I may be misquoting her, it could be someone else, but it was a blogger like her who writes thoughtful pieces. And she said, when I post something that I spent days on that is maybe like a 20 or 30 minute read, 
and someone immediately posts it back out on their social media. Like there's no way they could have possibly read it. And you know, that could be of opinion pro or against, but the point is they clearly didn't read it. They just reposted it. You know, it, it makes you wonder, what are we actually reading anymore? Just headlines? I remember Sam Harris talking in one of his podcast episodes how he even has a problem um, reading an entire book. And that made me feel a little better um, that I'm not alone. If the intellectuals of today are fighting this issue, it's, it's, a, it's a collective problem that surpasses the individual. So by stepping back and taking a moment to realize how we gather knowledge might help us with kind of long-term wisdom acquisition as well. So that's why I took on this question and this issue back in my TEDx talk and again in this 2019 episode. The problem has gotten way worse in the four years since I did that talk. Since wisdom is the most abstract of the three concepts, it didn't make sense to explain how to get wisdom attempting to explain how to acquire it, contrasting to its nature. But we can try to understand what it is a little better. It seems to be the next step. So we created this smart guy who can't even himself bring himself to finish a, a single book. He has all this knowledge and he is like a, calls himself a black hole of knowledge. It enters and it doesn't leave. He has the knowledge, but he's still stuck in the short attention span trap of the modern world. So naturally, this doesn't mean to become wise, you should drop your phone and into the toilet and replace it with books. As I said, there's a, there's, I doubt there's a shortcut to wisdom. Otherwise, we'd likely have already found it. Prior to that talk that I did, I was at a point in my life where I felt I had to get rid of more distractions because honestly, I could hardly focus on anything. It's one thing when you don't have a boss because I've been mostly a solo entrepreneur for 20 years but you have to find focus in what you're doing because there's no W-2 rolling in or no boss telling you what to do. And if you can't stay focused, you're not gonna create any income. Just to use entrepreneurship as an example of, of what this distraction addiction has, has on us. So the internet is this amazing double-edged sword of in information and opportunity, yet the other edge that I was suffering from, and I think a lot of people are, is just too many things to consume. And I had to start systematically experimenting with removing distractions, rethinking email usage, etc. So simply put, how to be wise in this day and age when there's a limitless amount of things to consume? Is it even possible? Besides approaching it from a philosophical point of view, I wanted to tackle the topic of wisdom from a practical standpoint. And this brought me to why wisdom, or more correctly, what is wisdom? Distraction is becoming a huge problem for a lot of reasons, and the most important one is that more junk information leaves less space and time in our lives to seek wisdom, don't you think? I mean, it's overly literal in the episode. Most people aren't Paul, where they want to be this wise person having memes written about them. Most don't think of the arc of our lives as the pursuit of wisdom. But really, isn't that what it's about? Wisdom is the product of applied knowledge, experiences, and time. On your deathbed, are you going to look back at life jazzed about how many articles you stuffed in your brain or how many Instagram posts you consumed or shows that you digested? Or would you prefer to look back proud of the wise worldview that you earned and hopefully found some way to pass it on through some creative pursuit? So just quickly run through your usual day. You wake up, you go to work, and when you come home, you've probably been something that as a re relaxation method. The last thing on your mind is to put work into growing yourself. 
Maybe the simple way to picture it's like this. Information leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to experience, and finally, experience leads to wisdom. But with information reaching overload and the quality in decline, are we actually gaining knowledge as individuals or even as a species anymore? The story of humanity as a whole is constantly evolving. But what about our individual stories? And coupled with that, our experiences are becoming more virtual. In other words, distractions. So are we losing valuable paths to wisdom laid down by everyone that came before us? I, I mean, I don't have the answer. I'll leave it to you to decide and decide what to do for yourself when you turn off this episode and decide where to invest your next hour. Is Paul modeled after anyone? Well, here's an interesting bit of behind the podcast trivia about the protagonist of this episode. So you might know him as Paul, but both Antonio and I still call him Albert. And actually before Albert, he was Mark. So a lot of name changing happened here. I felt like a parent who couldn't decide on the name of, of uh, his newly born baby. Um, Mark was like a prototype name that we used in the initial version of almost every episode before coming up with a better one. Not because the name sucks or is boring, it's just it just happened that Mark became our uh, standard name. We accidentally used the same name in a couple episodes and it kind of became an inside joke for every episode. So we'd always change the name because I wanted the name to correlate the topic and possibly sometimes be an Easter egg for, for some reference that we wanted to drop to astute listeners. If there will ever be a, a character called Mark, I don't know, but for the Marks of the world, don't lose hope. But then in version two, we switched his name to Albert. Assuming you've listened to the episode and got familiar with Albert, AKA Paul, AKA Mark, you can probably guess who it was referencing, but I just couldn't escape the thought that they would just be too obvious. But finally, we decided on Paul, and I'm sure some of you will guess to whom Paul is referencing. But the thing was the character was named Albert for such a long time that it just kind of got stuck in our brain. So sorry, Albert, but I'm sure you know everything's relative. We certainly modeled him after that version of the of the character's name. And I think you can tell from some of the scenes where, where we got some of that. Do you find yourself in Paul? Yeah, of course, every day in some way. Simply deciding what to consume and what not to can create this feeling of overwhelming dread of, you know, you can feel like you're not going anywhere when you're constantly consuming things. And there's always a pull to be looking at these feeds of information that, you know, you can have hundreds of different sources in your, in say, whatever newsfeed reader you use. And you can go through it for an hour and realize that the, that the news sources have only updated in say the last 15 minutes. <laughs> like the volume of information is just unbelievable. Today, when we have access to more information than ever before, it seems harder than ever to filter information that truly matters from the stuff that's useless or at least useless to us. So this is what Paul in the episode encounters, knowing what matters and what doesn't. We greeted the information tsunami with open hands, but we didn't think about how to handle it. And don't get me wrong, I, I know I'm making it a little more dramatic than it actually is, but it's, it's an interesting topic to discuss. Our brain just isn't capable of handling such a large quantity being thrown at it. You know, we have this thing in psychology, the paradox of choice, which is true. When you're presented with too many options, you're probably going to make a bad decision or no decision. So our brain, you know, at the same time, and today more than ever, we can be more knowledgeable than anyone before, but still, this doesn't seem to help us in becoming wiser. What if today's age requires a different brand of wisdom than before? 
is there such a thing? Like, is wisdom different in the age of Google? And like this endless ability to just answer any question with, you know, with hardly even typing the full question in, Google predicts your question. So I'm not sure there is. I, I, and I tried to explore how some of the ancient methods of wisdom acquisition and information processing might manifest themselves even today, even in the most manic among us, which leads to the next question. What happened to Paul as he lay on the floor? So I mentioned in the introduction how this was the episode where I started doubting because of so many rewrites we were going through. Well, the scene where Paul lays on the floor, defeated, might be one of the most rewritten parts in the history of the Evolve Faster podcast, which to be fair is a fairly short history, but nonetheless. When version two of the episode was complete, I didn't like this part. We knew we needed something to break the mold like we did in the first episode with Jonathan, but we also needed something that would drive the wisdom topic back home. So in just a couple paragraphs, we had to round up the story and the overall episode idea. Although the current version is contextually the same as the first version, it's it's much more well-written. From Paul dropping his phone in the toilet to him falling on the floor as a defeated man. There's this weird obstacle to tackle for me. I certainly love the idea. Imagining Paul lying on the floor like da Vinci's Vitruvian man surrounded by his books and papers and broken laptop. It was like a scene from a movie or maybe a graphic novel, but the way it was presented just didn't really work. And it took multiple rewrites. And when I was finally satisfied and thought the job was done, I was greeted by countless other paragraphs knocking on my door, begging for rewrites. As for what happened to Paul on the floor, same as in the episode, he reached his peak by sinking to the deepest, darkest hole. And it's the cathartic moment where he finally faces his demons and, you know, delivers quality drama to the listeners. <laughs> I've never had a situation exactly like, like his, but I've had elements of it. And situations come to a head where simply clearing my mind, going on a walk, a run, taking a shower, going to sleep, just daydreaming, you know, generated an answer for me. So these are the moments in life where we feel wise. And even though it might be an illusion, you know, Einstein famously used to lay, lie on the floor of the patent office and force himself to daydream because he knew that this forced creativity was the only way to have breakthroughs. There you go. I just gave away something I hadn't planned to. <laughs> Why did you decide for Paul to be so eccentric and rude? Can that type of person be wise? I remember while the story and character development were still in its initial stage, I wondered what kind of character would be fitting for this topic. I think Antonio came up with the basic concept for Paul or Albert or Mark, whatever he was at the time, probably Mark. But the first character version of him was bland and not interesting. And I think we probably went with someone just more traditionally wise. So it was on the right track, but it required a lot more work to make it fit this challenge that we had for this person. I think already in the second version, his character improved. And that's when Paul became this cocky guy who took his intelligence as an excuse to look down upon everyone else. And this was the beginning of the new direction for it. And there was a lot of work still ahead. And just like any creativity, it's trial and error. So we had to play around with this idea in context to see if it worked. And we had to find a reason for him wanting to become wise, a way to show the transformation and finally make everything make sense with zero loose ends. 
So when I look back on it now, I think patching up story discontinuities was the main reason for the countless rewrites. In a way, we were searching, you know, searching in the dark with this one because it was, it was an unpioneered path at this at this point. We we hadn't really rounded out these episodes with the whole kind of formula that goes into these evolve faster episodes. And that's when the introduction of Sid came in. So unlike Albert, he didn't even have a name at the beginning. We just called him the publisher. So Antonio wanted to keep it that way to further emphasize Paul's conceited mindset, meaning that he's so vain he won't even address his business partner by his name, just my publisher. But I thought that would hurt the overall story, and so we decided to give him a name. And that's also the point when we got a gust of wind at our back, so to speak. Introducing Sid suddenly put a couple of new possibilities on the table. He was the perfect counterpart to Paul, and he, and he made the difference between knowledge and wisdom easier to grasp. Also, this was the birth of a great idea for the overall season one, but I'll, I'll keep the big picture season level spoilers to a minimum here. The, the reason why Paul has this extreme proud personality is that if it were any other way, the story wouldn't have such a strong effect. Because he's very smart and knowledgeable, it hurts even more that he can't seem to grasp what he needs to grasp to become wise. And it's kind of because of who he is. Believe me, we tried with multiple different personalities and it didn't work. We needed a real a-hole. Um, so Paul became an asshole. What does the ending mean? It somehow feels as if Sid replaces Paul as the protagonist. Well, as you can probably guess, ending, same as everything else in the episode, went through tons of changes. The beginning end in what I call the proofs, the science, research, philosophy, psychology, neuroscience, whatever shows up in the conversations to kind of back up and give the characters, you know, some fuel to figure out what the next question to be answered is. They always, th those three things, beginning, end, and the proofs are always what get the most rewrites, especially the end. Do I wrap it up nicely with a bow? Is it going to be a positive end, a negative end? Um, will you know, what will fit the message that I'm trying to get across in this episode the best? Do I piss everyone off and leave it open-ended? Um, so especially when we introduce the fictional story element to the podcast, we always had a problem with the ending. It was never bad, it was never good, but really great to the point where I'd mark it done and ready for recording. So if you've ever written anything like this, I mean, even if you've written just a piece of nonfiction, how do you leave it? Like, what do you want the reader, or in this case, the listener, to walk away with. Um, and then you add into that challenge that it's a piece of fiction. So now you're deciding what the, what the takeaway message is, but you also have to decide if you're going to wrap up all the loose ends. And then the next complication is that this is a series. The third thing is then, do I leave something open-ended for the series? Is this ending going to be the beginning of another episode? Um, so there's a lot of challenges with this type of format, making the endings critical. So in a way, this whole this whole episode was one big trial to see if we had what it takes from the beginning all the way through to the final word of the episode and have it work within the season and everything. But I came to appreciate the ending is, of this one as the calm after the storm feeling. And after Paul goes through hell and back with himself, we jump to Sid, who's calm and wise as always. But there's also a small cliffhanger there, if you pay attention, and you may realize there's another storm brewing. Well, Sid is a very important character, and observing listeners might 
just connect two and two. So the ending of this one has two story functions. To conclude this one and to open the gate for future events. That's Actually, that's not entirely true. It's to open the gate for future and past events. So it might not make sense now, but the other episodes clear it up. If you're interested, I suggest you go back to the other episodes if you want to get into the, the nitty-gritty of the kind of interplay between the episodes and the season. That's about all I have time for, and I'll stop here because I feel this set of questions summarizes the essence of all the questions I received and what I want to talk about this episode. And thanks again for all the questions. Now, let me clear up what I mentioned at the beginning about struggling with the overall process and what happened that day in the car with me irritated and Stella blissfully unaware. If I think about it, I probably had expectations that I couldn't make it work. Because as it turned out, there were about 12 versions for just this episode, probably even more. And now imagine me a couple years ago thinking, okay, one, two, maximum three rewrites and the episode's ready. So I was way over my head and naturally when this hard truth hit me, I felt like I might have started to climb a mountain that I was just realizing I'd never get to the peak of. So this is the first episode that really, that we really chewed on and the first one that fit the fictional model. And I remember the excitement back then. If I'm completely honest, now it's actually my least favorite of the season, but it still works. So the, the car ride was still sleeping, fighting with Antonio, my loyal sounding board, whose best value as a friend and creative partners never just agree with me. Besides being an overall trial for the podcast, it was also a great exercise for our teamwork. I think we both learned a lot with this one. For me, I realized that with some fighting, I can sometimes win a perspective value, but it's usually a compromise that turns out better. Also, although I don't consider this to be the best of the season, it's the episode that made it possible for all the episodes to actually work, to be created. How did we get it finished? Hard work, really. Just kept pushing, long, frustrating discussions, being open-minded and capitulating on certain points in order to make other things work, um, letting it stew and revisiting it for yet another rewrite. I, I also kind of foolishly thought at the time that you could just push through and just get these done, but you have to let them sit. The upside of having multiple episodes going on at once is that you can let them kind of churn in the back of your mind and you know your subconscious does come up with connections and you know you work on the next episode and that lets you figure out oh i i just i did that episode this way maybe i can kind of apply that same type of thing here so you just start to just add more little fictional and character tools to your tool belt just creativity 101 it's a grind but very rewarding if it's if it was easy for anyone i'd be i'd be shocked so when we finished this one Every other episode that we were working on at that time suddenly felt like it was half-baked and to the point where it was almost funny. Um, and then a couple months later, this episode now pales in comparison to the, to the new work. To me, that's a happy and sad process at the same time. And it felt like, felt like things were evolving and still does. You need to sacrifice one thing to gain another. And actually that's maybe where the wisdom might come in. So just because the old version can no longer hold up, that doesn't mean it doesn't have value. It's uh, on the back of our previous scrappy work that, you know, good things are built. And realizing that might just be one tiny step to becoming a little more wise. To try and look back and compare it to where you are now. Do you think you're any wiser? If not, why is that? Maybe you spend too much time focusing on one thing and ignoring another, just like Paul. 
In my case, I got extremely distracted by easily consumable things and stuff like book reading became a cumbersome task. But I forced myself to change and made myself some firm life experiments to change the way I took in information, which eventually led to the TED talk about me, you know, about exactly how I did that. So give it a thought if you can find the time. Uh, it might just help you get some new realizations. Thanks for listening. See you next time. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster.